0: KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation, presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at CandlewoodArtsFestival.org.
1: Good morning. I'm John Carroll in for Debbie Cruz. It's Tuesday, October 3rd. A strike could be on the horizon for Kaiser workers. More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. San Diego officials are asking for your input on how the city should spend $135 million in federal funding. The funds can be used for things like increasing the availability of affordable housing, improving parks and libraries, and providing services and shelters for those experiencing homelessness. This city will be hosting workshops to get the public's input on community needs, or you can take a survey online. There are three workshops this week. There's one this evening at 5.30 at the Skyline Hills Library, tomorrow at 6 p.m. at the Bayside Community Center, and on Thursday at 1 in the afternoon at Valencia Park Malcolm X Library. San Diego Major League Soccer is building a training facility and youth academy on Saquon tribal land in El Cajon. It will be the first professional sports organization to establish a dedicated professional training facility on a tribal reservation. The new project will be built where part of the Pine Glen Golf Course and Singing Hills Hotel currently are. It will feature a residential youth development academy. It will also include five full size soccer fields and a new sports performance facility. The project is expected to start next month. We got a little sneak peek of fall weather over the weekend, but that's going to change this week. The National Weather Service says starting today, temperatures will quickly rise to above average for this time of year. But today's temps won't be as hot as later in the week. In the county's inland areas today, temps will be in the high 80s. By the coast and in the mountains, it'll be in the low 70s. And in the deserts, temps will be in the high 80s. Temps will reach the mid to high 90s tomorrow through the end of the week in some parts of the county. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by Under the Sun Foundation,
0: presenting the Candlewood Arts Festival in Borrego Springs, featuring temporary public art projects that engage community and place. March 23rd. More at candlewoodartsfestival.org.
1: More than 75,000 Kaiser workers nationwide could walk off the job tomorrow, including a few thousand here in San Diego. Negotiations are still underway as the largest healthcare care worker strike in the U.S. looms. Health reporter Matt Hoffman has more.
0: There's about 4,500 Kaiser San Diego workers represented by OPEIU Local 30, from ultrasound technicians to certified nursing assistants, housekeepers, and pharmacy techs. Union leaders say facilities are understaffed, but local Kaiser officials push back, saying they're meeting state staffing requirements. Kaiser's latest offer includes raises from 12 to 14 percent spread out over four years, something they say keeps pay above industry averages. The Coalition of Unions wants 24% over the same time period. Without a deal, workers would go on strike from Wednesday morning to Saturday morning. Kaiser officials say they're continuing to negotiate and are optimistic. But should a strike happen, hospitals and emergency departments will remain open. Matt Hoffman, KPBS News.
1: San Diego County Water Authority officials say the region should have plenty of water in the coming year. Environment reporter Eric Anderson has details.
2: The Colorado River Basin remains locked in a mega-drought despite rainfall and snow that increased water levels in Lake Mead and Lake Powell this year. If the drought lingers, federal officials could cut back how much water flows into California, Nevada, and Arizona there are currently voluntary cutbacks in place which don't affect San Diego. The authorities, Alexi Schnell says any mandatory cutbacks would have a local impact.
3: If there was an actual cutback, not a voluntary reduction, but if there was an actual cutback to Imperial Irrigation District supplies, we would share an approximately 6.5 percent of that, so a very small percent.
2: San Diego County water officials say the region should have plenty of water in the coming year, even though there's concern about the Colorado River. Eric Anderson, KPBS News.
1: Coming up, what's included in Kids Free San Diego this month. We'll have that and more just after the break. For the next installment in our public art series, producer Brendan Tuccinardi takes us to a giant mosaic. It brings the underwater world to life in concrete and tile.
3: Some fish. Look at the starfish. Starfish. Look at the starfish.
1: It's just
2: steps away from a swing set slide and jungle gym. In the background, you hear the laughter of children and the sound of crashing waves. It's another playground of sorts made out of concrete and tile. The map, as it's affectionately called, is a 2,500-square-foot mosaic. It sits at the Walter Monk Educational Plaza at La Jolla Shores. This massive piece of public art depicts the Grand Canyons of La Jolla, as well as over 100 species indigenous to California's coast, all in hundreds of thousands of pieces of hand-cut tile. Making a mosaic of this size is not easy, and it's only possible thanks to the technique called lithomosaic, it was invented by artists Robin Brailsford and Wick Alexander, along with concrete specialists.
3: Well, I tend to be a person who thinks big, and this is a technique that really only works for big.
2: The patented process is a remix of the classic mosaic technique of securing tile to a surface with mortar and grout. Instead, lithomosaic mosaic uses monolithic concrete pores.
3: So, lithomosaic mosaic did two things. It allows us to work super large. Uh, one just went in this week in Uh, Tempe, Arizona, that's 750 square feet. Um, And it also has figured out a way through the chemical balance of the concrete and with the techniques that we put into it to allow it to go in in a freeze-thaw environments.
2: Brailsford also works with artists Kelsey Hartley and Mariah Armstrong-Connors. She says a new mosaic begins with research.
3: I I study it really hard. I am there, I watch the sun rise, the moon set, whatever. Um, I talk to the people, I research a lot in the libraries, I read a lot of books.
2: Brailsford and Alexander's home studio is nestled in the hills of East San Diego County. There, the shelves of books are evidence of that scholarly approach to public art.
3: We're at a funny point now where the house doesn't have very many walls, and all the walls it can have either paintings or bookshelves. (laughs) So, you know, how many more books do we buy um, is the current problem.
2: Once the research is done, the next step is design conception.
3: I do all my litho mosaic layouts. Um, I paint them on clear plastic because I'm basically a glass artist, and so I'm most comfortable working in glass. That's why you know things that you're seeing that are older um, are glass. Then the
2: labor-intensive work of hand cutting and placing each piece of tile begins. In the litho mosaic process, tiles are secured upside down to mesh with water-based glue. After the layout is complete, it's time to install the mosaic. This is done by concrete professionals.
3: So they take it and they lay it upside down in the monolithic concrete pour, pull off the plastic, and then they trowel it, trowel it, trowel it, and then when the concrete has begun to set a little bit, enough to hold the tiles in place.
2: Back at the map, we're able to get a better idea of how the skilled craftsmen install the mosaic.
3: Imagine putting this much tile in your kitchen. Um, so what they were doing was, that on, one hand, on one end they were troweling this one in, and over here they had the pumper truck, and they were up to their ankles, you know, pumping in the concrete and, and leveling it, and then bringing over the next one at the same time. And it's uh, the ballet of the highest order of how they put it together. All of
2: this wouldn't be possible without the Walter Monk Foundation for the Oceans. It worked with the city and community stakeholders to bring the mosaic to life. Monk is widely considered to be the father of modern oceanography. He was one of the first scientists to bring statistical methods to the analysis of oceanographic data. And while he died in 2019 before the map was finished, the mosaic continues his legacy of teaching the next generation about the oceans and the animals that call it home. And the beauty of public art is that it's for everyone. Brendan Tuchinardi, KPBS News.
1: To see more public art stories and tell us what art pieces we should cover, go to kpbs.org slash public art. October is the month for kids to get in free at dozens of museums and attractions around the county. Education reporter M.G. Perez brings us the details.
0: It's the annual October event sponsored by the San Diego Museum Council, and this month, a record sixty venues are opening their doors to kids for free, and in many cases, it's free for their family too. Nine-year-old Ben Barbrick is already enjoying the San Diego Natural History Museum with his mom and siblings.
4: You learn where where things have come from in time, but also like where
5: things come from in the in the world.
0: All 18 museums in Balboa Park are free for kids in October. So is the USS Midway, the Pacific Southwest Railway Museum, and the Chicano Park Museum and Cultural Center, just to name a few. First Five San Diego is one of the sponsors. Alethea Argilis is the executive director.
3: The museums are doing such an amazing job of really meeting all of those senses, right? What we see, what we hear, what we touch, what we taste, what we feel. That's so important for our little ones and their brain development at this time.
0: For specifics and all the attractions included, go to sandiegomuseumcouncil.org. M.G.
1: Perez, KPBS News. October also marks Filipino American Heritage Month. In order to raise awareness for Filipino cinema as an important art form and a powerful tool for representation, San Diego Filipino Cinema is holding its third annual San Diego Filipino Film Festival. The festival kicks off tonight, but its opening and closing night films are already sold out. Film critic Beth Acomando spoke with Benito Bautista, executive director and co-founder of San Diego Filipino Cinema, Here's that conversation.
4: For people who may not realize this, San Diego really does have an exceptionally large Filipino community.
5: Yes, we're we're the largest Asian ethnicity in San Diego.
4: And you are opening the festival this year with a documentary, Nurse Unseen... <laughs> According to National Nurses United, Filipino nurses only make up 4% of the nursing population, but account for nearly a third of coronavirus deaths.
5: Why is this happening to Filipino nurses?
4: Filipino nurses have been in the
0: United States for decades. You cannot take Filipino nurses for granted anymore.
2: We have to continue telling our story. We have to be seen.
5: Nurse and Scene is directed by Michelle Josue, an Emmy-awarded uh, filmmaker from L.A. She's coming, by the way. This is, this is a story of the, you know, the invisibility of, uh, of the Filipino nurses in our, in our American society. And the only time I think we started hearing about their contributions is during COVID. And then at the same time, they're also victims of uh, 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 Asian hate. Put that together and you have, you have a very complex story.
4: Through the festival and through San Diego Filipino cinema, you really celebrate a lot of heritage through cinema.
5: Yes. I think the intention really is so that we can be included on the table, you know, at the table for discussions so that we can share our experiences, our struggles, our history, our dreams, our future. And so that we can we can learn from each other. And we've been invisible for we've been in, in the in different industries, you know, including the film industry, but we've never been highly visible. And so what we're trying to do is we're trying to amplify that representation. And that when we do that, it also amplifies and inspires even our own community in terms of heritage and pride. And so that's something that's really Yeah, that's really important for for our work.
4: And you have a centerpiece film called Searching for Kapwa, and this also looks to a lot of Filipino heritage and really puts things into a large context.
3: Kapwa is a sense of connection to other people, particularly other people of Filipino descent. So it's a sense that we are all connected, we are all family, and it feels like a really spiritual sense of connection, that we are cut from the same cloth. And regardless of where we are and whether or not we even really know each other, there's a sense of family and connection and community.
1: Why had I always felt the exact opposite, feeling so disconnected from my culture? How did this happen? With Terry by my side, I began a search to understand.
5: We have first-generation Filipino immigrants and second-generation, third-generation. We have the Gen Z. It, it's actually, it's a shared experience with all immigrants, and we're all immigrants here. So this is sort of trying to figure out where we're at and answering the questions of disconnection, generational gap, cultural disconnect, the American experience. You really kind of want to know how it is as a transplant from a different country, how it was before and how it is now if you're born here, coming from that generation. It's, it's beautiful because we, we see ourselves in, in the stories, you know, and in, in, in the dialogue, in the discussion. So, yeah.
4: Well, and as programmers, you guys are being pretty ambitious as well. You're showing over 100 films, both in person and online.
5: Yes, yes. We have a lot of things we're doing and the team, the, you know, the, the members of the programming team uh, uh, headed by uh, Emma Francisco, they're doing other projects. And so sometimes they can only watch two films or three films a day. And then we we tally our score. Individually, we watch the films. We analyze the film. We prepare our arguments. And then we sit down as programming team and we discuss and and fight about the <laughs> and really fight for the arguments that we have for the film. That's that's yeah, you're right, it's a little ambitious. It's a little ambitious, but we're excited because uh, in the beginning when we opened the doors and I think that was the first time during the first year, right? You were with us. We were nervous because we just opened the door to the first San Diego Filipino film festival, not knowing Who's going to be here? Are we going to even have films submitted? And now we have, we have films and up to now, there's still people trying to submit films, but we reached the deadline. It's, you know, we couldn't do it. So we're really happy and also thankful for our uh, sponsors, our volunteers, our programmers and our team of volunteers and our, our community, you know, and, and, and really engaging with what we have. And this is just the beginning. We want to expand with other programs within the festival. This year we have, like last year, we have Visions and Voices panel discussion as well.
1: That was Benito Batista, executive director and co-founder of San Diego Filipino Cinema, speaking with KPBS film critic Beth Akamando. The third annual San Diego Filipino Film Festival runs today through Sunday at The Lot, Liberty Station, and at AMC Plaza Bonita. That's it for the podcast today. As always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. Join us again tomorrow for the day's top stories. Plus, we hear why the Environmental Health Coalition is asking the San Diego City Council not to allow a Barrio Logan biofuels company to build a pipeline between two of its buildings. I'm John Carroll. Thanks for listening, and have a great Tuesday.